Welcome to Minnesota Matters. I'm Scott Peterson, and I'm joined by MNN's Bill Werner, Tasha Radel, and Mike Grimm. We're going to delve into what's going on in the North Star State. If it matters in Minnesota, we've got it covered. This week, two friends and filmmakers have joined forces to help small businesses share their extraordinary stories. Minnesota State Colleges and Universities are reaching out to students to tout the benefits of staying in Minnesota to get a degree, and significant changes are coming to NASCAR. But first... Despite huge issues before the legislature during the special session, there's still been the usual amount of political wrangling and positioning, and MN's Bill Werner talked with an expert observer about how that could play out long-term. Scott, we asked Hamlin University political analyst David Schultz what effects the legislature's actions on police reform and on COVID-19 might have in this fall's elections. Well, I think in terms of police reform, we need to understand something about the partisan lineup and the geography to be able to answer this question, because clearly it's not just in terms of a Senate versus House. It is also Republican versus Democrat. But also, I'm going to say this is a metro and mostly a Minneapolis St. Paul versus the rest of Minnesota issue. And the reason why I mention that, if you're a legislator representing, let's say, Minneapolis or St. Paul, or let's say perhaps even some of the close suburbs, Um, then police reform is an important issue for you and your constituents, and it may be critical for you to do something for the 2020 elections. On the other hand, the further you get away from Minneapolis and St. Paul, the less salient of an issue or important of an issue it is. For somebody who's in Thief River Falls, somebody who, let's say, in Grand Marais or, let's say, Worthington or other distant parts of the state – this is this is viewed more as an issue um, that is of the Twin Cities. Um, rural Minnesota is going to say that the problems of police reform, the problems of of, of let's say urban unrest, um, these are all more urban type of issues. And so, if greater Minnesota legislators, who generally are Republican, um, don't act on these issues or only make small reforms it's probably not going to hurt them as much as if they were somebody in the urban area. And likewise, the Democrats, um, at least the urban Democrats, stand to benefit more, but they're not in close election contests anyway for the most part this fall. I'm talking about the central core Democrats now. So you're absolutely correct that they're probably not in danger, although longer term, even thinking beyond this election, um, that if they can't get through significant reforms, they may very well face primaries when it comes to the 2022 election. Of course, in the world of politics, that is what, an infinite amount of time from now. But even with some of the reforms that are being debated by the Democrats, it's also not clear that even if they got everything passed, um, it's going to produce the longer-term um, results, I think, that they're hoping. Would, would it be fair to say, would it be a reasonable conclusion that from a political standpoint, for the fall elections, Republicans don't really need to do too much on police reforms? That's exactly correct here, is that they're going to support a couple of minimal things, ban chokeholds across the state of Minnesota, even though there's almost no jurisdictions in the state, I think only a half a dozen or so, that still allow them. Um, They'll do a little bit more in terms of maybe supporting a duty to intervene, maybe some gathering of statistics, but they're under no pressure from their constituents to act at this point. And in fact, I think they set up the Democrats 
because when the governor called this special session, he made passing significant police reform a major issue. The Democrats are making that a major issue, which, of course, means what? It means that the Republicans would love to, on one level, frustrate that in terms of damaging the Democrats with their own constituencies. So for a variety of reasons, there is no pressing need and no incentive for the Republicans to really take up significant reform and do anything. Let's move on to the whole COVID situation, and more broadly, at least politically, the governor's emergency COVID authority, because there that's been a, a, a rallying point for Republicans to try to cancel that outright, and they're not going to be able to do it because uh, the House Democrats are going to block that. Uh, specifically in the area of the governor's response to COVID, there are allegations that he over-responded, shutting down too much of the state's economy for too long. Can Republicans get benefit from that in the fall elections? They do. They, again, they help them with their political base. And in those safe Republican districts, they're taking a position that's not going to hurt them. And this possibly is an issue that even in those swing, let us say, swing districts that may work in the Republicans' favor, although we don't know. And I say that because if they're taking a stance in terms of saying that um, the governor mishandled COVID, um, that he damaged the economy, when maybe a lot of their constituents are out of work, that may be a message that resonates well with them. So far, in the polling that we've seen, the governor still has overall pretty broad support for how he's handled COVID-19. But clearly there are pockets across the state where his support is nowhere near the majority that you see statewide. It is possible, of course, and a lot depends on also the state of, the, of COVID-19 in Minnesota in terms of whether or not we get a resurgence. So there's a lot of variables that are out there that are really hard to calculate at this point. Now, where Republicans in the legislature do have some leverage with the governor is over something else the governor really wants, which yes. is a bonding bill. Yes, exactly. And my, that was going to be my next question. If we don't get one, ultimately, uh, who does it hurt more? And if we do get one, who does it benefit more? In general, I think the Republicans get hurt more um, if no bonding bill is adopted because they'll be passed, they'll be painted as, as obstructionists as halting an important, let's say, piece of legislation that's critical for, let's say, job development. More importantly, they might get tagged as saying that, well, you didn't get the money to help fix the roof on this building, work on that road, et cetera, et cetera. In general, I think a lot of people are going to view the bonding bill in isolation and say, yeah, do we, we need to spend some money to fix roads, bridges, highways, and put people back to work. Hamlin University, Professor David Schultz. Scott? Thank you, Bill. Minnesota Matters returns after this. We asked kids what it took to be a dad. This is what they had to say. A father is always present. I mean, what, father, what real father figure can you have if they're not there? In order to be a good dad, you need to love, love your son. You need to put gas in your car so you don't break down in the middle of nowhere. And you need to make some breakfast. Yep. I mean, just to maybe um, play, like, a board game with me or to just stay home and play um, some video games with me. Just to do, like, that one little thing is what I really look forward to. I'm not asking him to be a perfect dad, but he should try. He's just a constant force in my life. There's no other type of love like a dad's love because it's not comparable to anything else. 
Take time to be a dad today. Call 877-4DAD411 or visit fatherhood.gov. Brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services and the Ad Council. Welcome back to Minnesota Matters. The governing board for Minnesota's 30 state colleges and seven state universities is reaching out to both current and soon-to-be college students, highlighting the benefits of staying in Minnesota to get a degree. MNN's J.W. Cox has more. Scott, the Elevate Minnesota Scholars Initiative is geared to place the positives of attending a school right here in Minnesota higher in the minds of college-bound seniors and current college students. Minnesota State Chancellor Devendra Malhotra says their initiative also meets a need. Because of events surrounding COVID-19, many students are rethinking their college plans. Many who normally would be going out of state to attend college are realizing that uh, now may not be a good time to venture far from home and are looking to reduce their travel, um, be near family, save money, and help their communities. So the Elevate, Elevate Minnesota Scholars Program provides these students with a path to continue their higher education journey closer to home in their own home state of Minnesota. What can students who make the decision to attend a Minnesota State School expect when they get to campus in the fall? So uh, our promise is simple and straightforward. Every one of the colleges and universities of Minnesota State will be open in the fall and ready to welcome students offering on-campus and online courses reflecting how each institution can best support its students and their success. So we will follow all the protocols which are in place, safety protocols and social distancing protocols, and we will offer both in on-campus, in-person classes, as well as online and other classes using technology and remote delivery. What have schools already done to meet the needs of students against the backdrop of COVID-19? What we did was and this goes, the credit goes to faculty, staff, and students across our 30 colleges and seven universities who all came together, and they worked together, and we extended the spring break by two weeks, and within the period of those two weeks, they moved close to 20,000 courses to remote delivery, uh, which accounted for almost 95% of the courses being offered in spring semester. And uh, I must say, we are well on our way to not only finish this spring semester strongly, but also we have we are uh, positioned well for summer, where our enrollments have gone up by about two percent, and that is in no small measure because of the creativity and innovation with which our faculty and staff designed uh, the summer programs. All our students are in a position to continue their educational journey, meet their academic uh, goals and educational goals, and more importantly, we are in a position to provide Minnesota the talent it needs uh, for its social and economic vibrancy. What would you say schools of the Minnesota state system are doing to help foster conversations around race and equality and to be a positive force for bringing society together regardless of race or background? We are the largest education provider in the state of Minnesota. 
We are also the most diverse education provider in the state of Minnesota. We have close to 60,000 students uh, who come from communities of color or are those of native origin. We have well over 80,000 students who come from low-income families. Uh, we have close to 87,000 students who are 25 years or over. We have 10,000 veterans. And in all of these categories, our colleges and universities have more students than all other educational providers in Minnesota put together. We have launched uh, an initiative called Equity 2030. It is our goal that by the year 2030, we want to eliminate uh, uh, educational equity gaps in access and student success, uh, whether those gaps exist by virtue of race and ethnicity or whether they exist by virtue of socioeconomic status or level of family income or whether they exist because of first-generation student. So our commitment uh, to support all our students in a manner that each and every student has the uh, maximum likelihood of success in their educational journey is again a core commitment of Minnesota State Colleges and Universities. So this goes to our core values and our core commitments. What's the best selling point for Minnesotans aspiring for a college education to consider a Minnesota State College or University? We are really uh, committed uh, to providing exceptional education at affordable tuition uh, to all Minnesotans. Uh, for example, our colleges average about $5,000 a year for a, a student going full-time, and our universities average around uh, $8,000. And these are the lowest fees you can find in the state of Minnesota. So what the message we are giving through the Elevate Minnesota Scholars Program is that there is close to your home a great option at an affordable price, at an affordable tuition with an exceptional education uh, for you to continue your educational journey. As an added incentive, some colleges and universities in the system are waiving application fees for a limited time. Additional information on Elevate Minnesota Scholars available at minstate.edu slash elevate. Scott, back to you. Thank you, JW. Minnesota Matters returns after this. Welcome back to Minnesota Matters. Two friends and filmmakers have come together to help small businesses share their stories. MNN's Tasha Radel has more. That's right, Scott. Alicia Bertram and Rachel Guyon of Real Films, based in Alexandria, Minnesota, create films marketing small businesses using an organic lifestyle approach. Joining me now is co-owner Alicia Bertram. Alicia, can you give us some background on Real Films? Yeah, well, uh, it all started with a friendship. My partner with Real Films, Rachel Guyon, and I, uh, we both build fam- families, and she did weddings. And we both just wanted to do more. We saw a need in our community to tell an authentic story behind small businesses in our area. We know there are media companies out there that can produce a commercial, but we wanted to know the why behind a story. And so uh, we feel that that's tended to connect with people's audience um, in a unique way. And so it tends to 
pull a little bit at the heartstrings. Um, so we envision going to their place of business, interview them, have a of their products and services, uh, but all along the while, we would tell their stories and show people the heart behind the business. Uh, but then COVID-19 hit, um, and we had just launched our own small business, um, and everything came to an abrupt halt. Can you share with us whose stories you share? Uh, well, our initial plan was to cover small businesses and tell their stories um, in a unique lifestyle approach. Um, we were just about to start production with United Way when COVID-19 hit, and it just made us change gears a bit. It, we had to adapt to what was happening around us, and we knew that we as a small business were not alone. And so we ended up reaching out to other small businesses after some brainstorming and strategizing. Um, we would go out and we would contact the local small businesses and use the tools that we have to serve them in a new way free of charge. Um, so we came up with compassionate marketing, and it wasn't about making a sale for us or them. Um, with the financial uncertainties that people in our community were facing, uh, spending we figured was going to be down, but the desire to feel remembered, cared about, um, it just was greater than ever before. So these businesses would let their companies, or their sorry, their community know um, who they are, what they do, what their status is, and in the end, they would share a best of hope. So like Dr. Tyler Guyan of Woodland Dentistry would tell people to keep on smiling, and Amanda Boutain of Little Cakes Cupcakery encouraged um, us to indulge in a little cake and. I don't think any of us would disagree with that. <laughs> what has the response to your films been like? Well, it's been incredible. Um, one of our compassionate marketing films captured 3.7 thousand views, and for a small town like Alexandria, Minnesota, we were pretty proud of, of that. Um, it's truly about exposing these small businesses to their current clients and potential clients. You mentioned filming small businesses in the Alexandria area. Do you have plans to branch out? We really look to. So we um, will be going uh, out of Alexandria to Shady Oak Realty uh, in Orangeville, Minnesota, and we've got a couple uh, prospects in South Minnesota. We really would love to venture out. Uh, we do want to keep it into the small business arena just because we feel it's such a unique uh, area for us to explore and, and share their story. Alicia, it sounds like this work has been very rewarding for you personally. Very much so. I think any entrepreneur knows that they want to give back in some way or another. And so being a small business um, ourselves, we just really wanted to serve other small businesses in a big way. Um, and telling their stories and getting them out to people, uh, when we see the reactions from people in our community, it just, it just feels really good. It feels good on the heart. Um, and we want them to succeed. We want them to thrive, um, especially during this time. We want to see success. And that's, um, that's what we've been seeing. For our listeners wanting to view some of your work, where can they go? Yeah, you can learn more about Real Films at realfilmsmn.com. Or you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Vimeo. We're about out of time today, Alicia. Any final thoughts? Uh, we just want to give um, all small businesses just a boost and let them know that 
people are here to help support them in one way or another. And we encourage those that can to go out and um, if you're going to spend some money, spend it with those small businesses. Let them know that you care and that you're here for them. Thanks again to my guest, Alicia Bertram of Real Films. Back to you, Scott. Thank you, Tasha. Minnesota Matters returns after this. You wanted to see me? Yes, please, have a seat. So here's the thing. When this company brought you on, we took a chance on you. You didn't have that four-year college degree we typically look for. Right. But we gave you a shot anyway. And since then, you've worked incredibly hard and given it your all. Thanks. You've been an important asset to the team. But I don't think you can be an intern here anymore. (sighs) We want to hire you. You're, You're serious? Absolutely. Find your next great employee. Introduce yourself to the grads of life. Who are they? Talent worth knowing about. Young adults of unique determination and experience. An ideal fit for your company in an entry-level position, internship, or even mentorship. They might not have every qualification you typically look for, but they're exactly who your company needs. I won't let you down. I know. Don't miss out on a resource many innovative companies have already discovered. Go to gradsoflife.org to learn how to find, cultivate, and train this great pool of untapped talent. Brought to you by the Ad Council and gradsoflife.org. Welcome back to Minnesota Matters. Last week was quite a week for NASCAR, the premier auto racing organization in America. NASCAR banned the Confederate flag from flying at its events, loosened some guidelines on the possibility of kneeling during the national anthem, and had a Black Lives Matter-themed car on the track during competition. Albert Lee native Eric Nyquist has worked with NASCAR since 2005 and is a senior vice president and chief communications officer. MNN Sports Director Mike Grimm spoke with Nyquist about the past couple of weeks and how NASCAR is tackling racial tension. Nyquist says the message is clear. They're moving into a new world of inclusiveness with NASCAR. What I love about NASCAR, and for those listeners who aren't as familiar with it, uh, what's great about uh, this sport, from my vantage, is no matter who you are, big or small, no matter where you come from, male or female, you know, no matter how you love, no matter how you worship, if you can wheel a car, if you can work under the hood, If you're a brilliant engineer, you can compete on the highest level with everybody, no matter what the background, no matter what your perspective is, no matter the color of your skin. I love it. And it's it's one of the great things about this sport, and uh, I'm privileged to be a part of it. Eric Nyquist with us, and he is, as he mentioned, with Strategic Development uh, with NASCAR, um, and that is a good uh, basis of where we can jump now into some um, uh, topics to cover. And you mentioned uh, the idea of, of uh, if, if you're good, if you are outstanding, and this is certainly the premier auto racing league in the country and the organization, um, and uh, let's face it, uh, the epicenter of, of some of this uh, social uh, unrest that has been resonating across the country here in the last uh, couple of weeks started right here where I am in in, in the Twin Cities. Uh, Obviously, it has expanded out. And now uh, NASCAR has also um, uh, tried uh, some things to to help. And and diversity, quite frankly, at times has been a challenge for everybody. And uh, a sport base in the South has also had to take on a few of those challenges. The Martinsville race on Wednesday had an African-American driver that drove a car that said Black Lives Matter on the same day 
that the organization said there'll be no uh, no more Confederate flag uh, allowed at our events. Um, pretty historic day in in your world. Uh, take me through uh, your thoughts, how we got to that point, and 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 about the challenges of of creating diversity uh, in the sport. Yeah, you bet, Mike. Um, you know, first, I'm certainly no expert on any of these matters. Uh, and it's a very complicated front, a nuanced one, uh, one that brings and evokes a lot of emotion from a lot of different corners of our society. You know, I think at the heart of it is uh, less any place of judgment. Uh, really, it's, it's a place of us recognizing that, you know, we want our sport to be for everyone. Um, we understand that there are, uh, everybody has different uh, perspectives on this and there's politics that gets involved. But at the very core of it all, is the essence of, uh, of mutual respect and love uh, for everyone. And it's not always easily done, but again, you know, getting back to the nature of our sport, you know, you know, racing is something that, uh, you, know, you know, there are no limitations on who you are or where you come from in terms of your ability to compete. And that's the core equity of racing. And, you know, NASCAR is about community. And for us, um, you know, we need to recognize that we have an opportunity uh, and we need to, you know, embrace what makes racing great. And that means making it available and inclusive and welcoming to everyone. And, uh, you know, and so we, we've got work to do in our sport. There's no doubt about it. But I will tell you, across the leadership, across the drivers, across the industry, um, across our fan base, um, it, it's a group of folks that uh, has a deep love for everything that our sport represents and is welcoming and inclusive. You know, you are going to have that vocal minority. It doesn't see the world that way, and that's incredibly unfortunate, Mike. You know, I have three children that are all very different. I have a daughter who's played eight years of youth football. You know, I have a son who was born in Ethiopia. You know, my wife um, uh, has a background. Uh, it's, it's something that gives me some perspective. I certainly can't walk in the shoes of others that have been subjected to subhuman behavior, but I will say this. You know, we're moving forward as a sport that's embracing anyone and everyone who wants to be a part of our sport, full stop. That's beautiful, and and it was I, I uh, as you know, we, you and I have chatted before. I am a big uh, racing fan, and to see um, to see Bubba Wallace's car uh, circling that track in uh, you know in the South like that uh, was was great. It was amazing. It was a big day, and um, and as you mentioned, uh, you know, ho- uh, hopefully uh, doors open, and if you're good, you'll get your chance, and what, no matter uh, no matter what uh, your background is. That, that's right, Mike. That's right. And uh, what I'm, I'm, makes me incredibly proud for how our sport has rallied around this. Uh, again, not an intention to make a political statement. It's simply to embrace the reality that, um, you know, we've got to do better. You know, our sport has to do better. Our country has to do better. Listen, I can't speak for other people. I can speak for myself. I've got to do better. I've got to do a lot better in everything I do. And so, listen, I, I recognize that. I, I hope others do, too. This isn't about... Winning and losing, this isn't about making a stance. It's about, you know, the basic principle that, you know, we need to embrace, you know, the values that this country is founded on. And and that's treating each other with great equality, dignity, and love. And it's what makes our country great. And our, and our country is a history of progression and evolving and getting better. Um, and sometimes that's painful. Um, and listen, I'm, I'm just, I'm grateful that 
we're moving forward in a way that, again, is embracing anyone and everyone that wants to be a part of our NASCAR family. That's Eminem Sports Director Mike Grimm with Albert Lee native Eric Nyquist. You can hear Grimm's entire 30-minute interview with Nyquist at minnesotanewsnetwork.com. That's going to do it for us for this week. Thank you for listening, and please tune in again next week for Minnesota Matters on this MNN station.